Hello there, I'm Elitza Nikova and welcome to Staykeepers podcast. Staykeepers is a prop tech platform that creates value for residential and commercial institutional owners. So thank you for tuning into our one-stop shop for all things real estate, built to rent and the latest innovation in the property technology world. For more information about Staykeepers, please check our website at staykeepers.com or simply follow us on Twitter at Staykeepers. In this fourth episode of Staykeepers podcast, I am delighted to be joined by Carl Taylor and Brendan Geraghty, directors of the award-winning branding, interior design and architecture company Geraghty Taylor. What started out as a travelling troupe which organised creativity workshops around architecture across the UK has grown to become a leading voice in the UK's build-to-rent sector. Let's welcome them to find out how they managed to do just that. Carl, Brendan, welcome to Staykeepers Podcast. Thank you both for joining us in what I feel will be a fantastic opportunity for our listeners to find out more about the latest in the architecture world. Hi, Ellie. Thank you for uh, the invitation and it's uh, great to be here. Hi, Ellie. Thank you as well for the invitation. I'm looking forward to the conversation. How have you been lately with the current lockdown situation? Has working from home somehow affected your work-life balance? When you talk to Brendan, you'll find somebody who's an enthusiastic home worker. Um, I've always been um, on the side of uh, wanting to be in the office environment, but uh, the last three months has uh, shown me as well that, uh, that, that working from home can be enormously um, advantageous uh, from just a work-life balance perspective, from productivity perspective. And we've, we've kind of... Um, in a sense, prove to ourselves how um, effective we can be as a sort of working um, uh, entity with our team and uh, seeing how the uh, the whole effectiveness of the business has continued unabated. It's, it's been absolutely amazing. I mean, going forward, we can see that the office environment is going to be a really important place to return to. However, I think that the new colour in our paint box is going to be the idea of using um, homeworking as, uh, as as part of the business plan, which will impact on the way that uh, we make decisions going forward. We will have more and more things to consider. Yeah, if I just come in here, I think that what's important to recognise is the big shift that this has um, imposed on all of us. We found that surprisingly easy to make this change and our staff I think have found it surprisingly easy to make the change from a technology perspective but what we're observing more generally and and certainly beyond our own practice is that there's a demographic split the younger guys uh, or the younger staff want to get back into the office very often because they're sharing at home and there's there's actually competition for space within their apartments and the older more established um, uh, staff are quite happy to work at home because they've just probably got more space and um, infrastructure available to them it will be different going forward and we need to understand what that might mean but i think the bigger opportunity the bigger impact is that the entire society has in unison together made a great big step forward and up in the use of technology And so naysayers who had previously stayed away from technology are now using it and finding it really works quite well. And those who were already sort of tech enabled are finding even better and more uh, uh, practical and innovative ways to use the technology. So I think there's a lot to leverage from that. And we'll be certainly looking at uh, every opportunity to make something of that. Speaking of opportunities, how did the opportunity to work together come about? I know that at some point in your life, you lived in different locations, continents even. So how has the universe brought you together? 
I met Carl in 1989, and um, prior to that time, Carl had been living a peaceful existence uh, in England, and I was safely uh, far away in South Africa, and uh, things seemed seemed to be uh, progressing um, uh, fairly well for both of us, I suspect. But I came over to England in uh, 1989 to study architecture. I'd previously studied interior design and wanted to kind of um, move into architecture. And in my first year of, of study, a mutual friend of ours who was uh, in the same year group as me uh, had taken a flat above an architectural practice in Seven Oaks where Carl was working. And um, we, we met up socially early into my first year and, and formed a friendship that has lasted until now. In fact, the, the mutual friend was also an architect. We spent uh, quite a lot of time doing um, architectural competitions um, in and around um, the UK and Europe. But at the same time, there were a whole host of other interests that uh, sprang out up from that, uh, looking at uh, areas of uh, kind of culture and uh, design that uh, were outside of architecture but um, impacted in architecture they were they were kind of uh, related to sort of behavioral uh, science and um, the way that uh, people responded to their environments I think to add to what Carl is saying I mean we have always looked outside of in, of architecture for our for our interests and indeed it wasn't long after we we first met whilst I was still a student and Carl a recent graduate that we we formed a kind of traveling troupe would have the um, the pretentious name of ambience engineering and we we peddled this across the countryside to, to any architecture schools that would take us and would put on effectively creativity workshops around architecture but what was more interesting was that we we really were borrowing from theater from film from advertising and indeed uh, we we saw the beginnings of the green agenda and the and, and the environmental issues creeping in you know this is the late 80s early 90s before it was a, before we, there was a full understanding of these issues, we we were we were aware of them and, and trying to bring in a wider spectrum of thinking to the solutions that we would inevitably ask to come up with as part of an architectural response. So it was very rich in ideas, very rich in conversation, but ultimately it was a period of ideas exchange that Carl and I used to forge some of the design strategies that we use to this day and to forge some of the design methodologies and, and, and disciplines that, that are, are present in, in, in Garrity Taylor and, and used every day. Will you then say that the ambience engineering, the green agenda, and your architectural response to the environmental issues are the foundation of your brand before building methodology? In short, it, it goes back to the, uh, the, the, those original ideas at the outset where we're looking at people and the things that uh, people are looking for. So one of the things that I think that uh, both Brendan and I have a slight aversion to is, is, is looking for inspiration in, in, in an architecture. It's actually finding um, a, uh, a solution that is wholly born out of the, uh, the experience of the individuals using buildings rather than the, the bricks and mortar that uh, create buildings. That sounds to me a lot like a more customer-centered approach. Am I right? Brand before building is something that we developed an understanding of probably four or five years ago now. And really it was in our work through Built to Rent that, that led us towards brand. Because what we see in Built to Rent is a dynamic which is much more closer to the retail model. And if we look at our retail 
cousins who you know who spend an awful lot of time thinking about the customer experience thinking about how to interest their customer in the products that their uh, retail tenants might be selling or indeed with um, hotels who are looking at repeat business all of the time and the the difference between that and the sales market was really the focus on the customer and the thing that is used to understand the customer and to talk to the customer in both those in both hospitality and in retail has an emotive dimension to it often best articulated through brand you know we can we can look at all sorts of brands as as to how they they get their message across but if you speak to many of them very few of them particularly say in the motor industry very few of them will ever talk about how do i improve this car they talk about how do i improve the customer experience and we've we've spent a great deal of time studying brand as a concept, as a, as 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 a dynamic brand dynamics, and looking how we might be able to apply it to the work the work that we did. And it, it occurred to us that the residential market is possibly the largest consumer market in the world because everybody needs somewhere to live. And yet there's very very few brands there, and many of the brands that are there are actually investor focused rather than customer focused. So it seemed to us there was an entire open field to go in and say, well, look, you know, if customers are important, let's put customers at the heart of the work that we do. Let's really understand what they want and let's design to that. So Brand Before Building emerged as a process by which we don't just look at the developer financial viability, which is very often how sales projects were approached, but we looked at that and we looked at the customer requirements as well. And we suggested that, or the proposition is that we come up with a brand and from that brand, which is a which is an offer, the, a brand is nothing more than an offer. It will have an emotive content and it will have a product element to it and a service element to it. And once we understand what the offer to the market is, we should then design the building to meet that offer. Whereas very often what has happened historically, a building has been designed as a generic residential building and then turned into a built to rent building. And that's often a suboptimum approach. So brand before building was, developed as a strategy or as a methodology where we looked at customers in a much more granular way. We took that information to the developer and said, well, look, if this is your customer base, what is the offer to this customer? What is the quality of the product? What is the quality of the service? Who are the customers you want to attract? And once we had all of that together, we'd be able to design much, much more effective and focused buildings. That in a nutshell is how Brand Before Building works. It came out of our work in Build to Rent. But what we're finding now is that we apply it to all of our projects and, the, and, each, and each of them will have a unique character and unique characteristics that we will try and, and, and put together. Some of it will be about the architecture and some of it will be about the, the, the customer experience, but all of it is about trying to get the right solution. So Brand Before Building is our, is our way of doing better architecture by really understanding both what our clients want, but also what our clients' customers are looking for. And how difficult is that really, acknowledging your clients' wishes and managing their expectations? That's quite a, that, that is quite a difficult um, sort of challenge in terms of um, managing expectations of developers who are, you know, poised to, to potentially outlay considerable amount of money in, 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 in taking a development forward. forward. 
from an architectural perspective, all we can, not so much all we can do is that what where we are principally asked to participate in managing expectations is to understand our, under, to help our developers understand their market really, really well. So that means really doing quite granular customer research and customer analysis so that if they are going to invest in a, in, in a project that they, they really understand where they're going to draw their tenants from or their residents from their customers uh, in, in the build to rent space. And then we design product which is appropriate to that. But I think that there's a good synergy now emerging um, in the, the developer circles around, certainly around build to rent, and I think uh, housing more generally, but in build to rent, the build to rent space, the understanding of, of how the product and the operational element and the customer need to work work together is, is becoming very, very clear. What's often putting, um, projects at risk or at more risk is viability associated with land land cost and opportunity costs. And that's often proving to be more of a difficult thing to overcome. And also that rent projections in the marketplace are naturally now going to be not as bullish. And that's going to put a damper on viabilities as, as some schemes which may have been marginal or just just washing their face on may now be uh, slightly too risky for uh, for for many developers and their funders. With your creative roles, I suppose you were faced with some quirky project ideas. But have you ever said no to a client whose project was too risky or unrealistic? I think that uh, saying saying no is, uh, is is something that kind of uh, goes against our grain. We really like to stand up to a challenge and uh, see if we can make something work. I think that it also is an important part of our business, uh, uh, our approach to business. Is, is it's all about relationships, um, where we very much try to walk with our clients and explore uh, ideas with them, and uh, and hope that they will humour us in exploring our ideas that we're putting down for them to consider. And so the word no is is quite a negative thing that we try to leave out of our vocabulary as much as we can. In all the residential work I've spent, I've spent the vast majority of that having things that I'd like to include removed because they, you know, community facilities or amenities for uh, for residents, whatever it is, were simply not part of sales culture uh, in in a lot of the, work, the, the schemes that I did. And um, we spent a lot of the first 20, 20 years of my career as an architect fighting to keep things in and now particularly in the built to rent world and people's understanding of well-being and community and the benefits of all of that and indeed in built to rent where amenity is important now the argument has turned full 360 and we're we're, we're encouraged to add even more amenities in so it's it's a little bit like um it's a complete inversion of of the history of, of a lot of the projects that we've done a very welcome change but it's very strange to be on the other side to, to be on the other side of the table and being told that we're not doing enough for the community or putting enough resident immunity in when we're so used to having it removed so that's been a marked change i think in 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 the way that we design in the last in the last few years i am glad you mentioned the changes on the property market and namely the bill to rent so the sector has changed and continues to grow it seems how will you comment on the increased demand one of the reasons why um bill to rent is so is, is becoming very successful and indeed it's in, a, in its various guises. So we have 
you know, built to rent, which is about an amenitized solution, PRS, private rental sector, and PRS plus, which have less amenities, but may still be characterized by having good service. And I think that the reasons that it's growing and will continue to grow are, are principally two reasons. One, it is counter-cyclical to a lot of the economic issues and um, cycles that go on. So at a time like now where sales are down and people are just not able to buy as many uh, houses or apartments um, as perhaps historically, the rental market then needs to pick up the slack or, or, or provide an alternative. The sh- you know, in short, we do not have enough housing in the UK and, and globally, the lack of housing is a massive issue for us all and we will have to face up to this. And, and, and the rental sector just provides a solution. It is not the panacea, but it is a solution to add to the housing mix and to deal with the housing crisis. But the reason I think it's it's going to be successful is because it provides an alternative to the sales world. It certainly provides a strong alternative to the the sort of sloppy, lazy landlord culture that does exist in a lot of rental um, rental sector housing, where the the landlord is not concerned particularly with the welfare of the of, of the tenant, and um, this is very very different in the built to rent sector. And I think a combination of good service, good design, good well designed buildings, and um, an attractive community experience within those buildings will make um, built to rent a a very, very popular choice as we go forward. Also, the need for speed and the creation of uh, community fast is uh, one of the things that uh, enables uh, built to rent to uh, take root really quite quickly and act as a catalyst as well for much wider kind of funded uh, developments. So you can use uh, built to rent as uh, the point which uh, other tenures are are pivoted um, into a wider master plan. So it has a hugely uh, effective and impactful positive contribution to the uh, the kind of residential uh, landscape. Uh, What should property developers look out for in terms of emerging trends on the build-to-rent market from an architectural perspective? Well, the biggest trend at the moment is working out how to deal with the COVID-19 situation. From an architectural perspective, though, I think what we're seeing is a um, segmentation of the market. So we have quite a few high-end uh, built to rent providers, you know, the the the, the motors uh, or the gray stars of this world who are providing a very strong product. Uh, it, it's, it's quite highly priced in some respects, not always, but certainly it's very highly amenitized. And um, they are uh, leading the the market in that respect. But increasingly, we're seeing the, the, the mid-market opportunities starting to really take shape. And we're seeing a much more kind of British version of built to rent emerge within that space. So there is still amenity and there is still very well designed um, products, but it's not quite as highly amenitized as some of the as as some of the higher end solutions are. We're also seeing a great deal of standardization coming into the um, built to rent market. Essentially, in terms of your your financial gross to net calculations and how you might maximize your your revenues. The operating costs of a built-to-rent um, development are really, really important to get right at the beginning, right even before the design starts. We need to understand what the operating model is likely to be, to be, and then how we can incorporate that into the design and look to minimize costs over the lifespan of the building uh, through um, um, properly integrating the operational requirements. But 
I think the most important trend in Build to Rent is working out how to create a really good customer experience. And there's so many ways that this can be done and every operator has a slightly different view on it. And I think that's a great thing because the more variety and diversity that there is in the build to rent market, the better. And as long as we all remember it's the customer that matters and the customer is the source of the revenue and we and we design buildings and experiences which are positive for the customer, I think we'll see the, the markets, the build to rent market strengthen over time. I can't agree more that among some of the latest trends like the one you mentioned, such as the segmentation of the market and creating good customer experience, is the industry response to COVID-19. How do you think the industry has been affected? I think that uh, certainly the design sector is going to be substantially affected and that will likely be as a consequence of uh, how the investment side of the uh, the construction industry is, is, is affected. Also, I think Brendan alluded to it earlier on when um, describing uh, the kind of dynamics between investors and vendors, there's going to be a, a levelling out, um, a new levelling out, I believe, in relation to the, uh, the kind of uh, the cost of land and what people are prepared to uh, uh, pay for it, how much people are prepared to invest in, in the outturn product. And um, these things are going to only become clear, I think, uh, in the medium term rather than the short term. I do hope for all our sakes that uh, out of this will come opportunities. Out of necessity comes invention. I think the biggest jump for the creative industries will be how society is going to be more technology enabled in the back of, of the corona um, experience. And I think there's a huge opportunity for us to to bring new technology into into our lives in all sorts of ways that we some of which we haven't even thought of yet. As tragic as aspects of Corona have been, and they have been tragic, there is a shedding of a whole lot of baggage as well, and we'll be able to kind of uh, absorb these differences over the next few years, and and certainly I, I hope come up with some better solutions and um, improved lifestyles for us all. What do you think it will take for property developers to move their projects forward, given the turbulent recovery of the economy which we expect? Developers who are able to really articulate what they're looking for in a, in a much more simple but sophisticated way um, will do well in, in the years ahead because it is going to be rocky. And I think those who are, who are much more focused and nuanced in, in understanding what they want from their architects, from their, from their customers, will, do, will ultimately do very well. What we're talking about here is, is a, a much more collaborative environment uh, for us to be working in. We all have various skills to be able to bring to the table. I think that the developers that are able to, uh, to, to most effectively use those skills of the, of the team are going to be the guys that uh, are able to uh, forge a way forward and make the greatest ground in the future. Carl, Brendan, thank you very much for sharing your time, your expertise and valuable insight into the property sector. I am sure our listeners will find your input extremely helpful while finding ways to make the necessary adjustments to accommodate the changing needs of their business in these rather strange times. Thanks very much. It has been fun. Thanks, Ellie. Well, ladies and gents, that's the end of today's episode. Thank you for listening to our podcast and let us know what you think in the comment section below. Stay Keepers wishes you all a great week ahead. Be safe and remain positive. The best is yet to come.